But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Verse 4 will be our, be our main uh, focus, but I want to read these verses again. So let's look at it. Um, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Uh, We're continuing to work our way through the epistle of Ephesians. Uh, And so this book, it reveals to us the riches of God's grace in Jesus Christ. This book tells us the great spiritual wealth we possess in Him. Last week we saw that Paul, he began to praise God because of God's goodness. And he told us that because God is good, that God shares His blessings with His people. In fact, Paul tells us that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That we are spiritually wealthy, we are spiritually rich. And it's not because of any good thing in us, it's because we are in Christ. And now having told us that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings, Paul proceeds to tell us just what those blessings are and why they come to us. Now here in verse 4, where we're going to spend our time today, Paul tells us about the doctrine of sovereign election, reminding us that He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now when you begin to talk about the doctrine of election, let me just say up front that it is hated and it's often misunderstood. There are people out there that when you talk about election or predestination, they hate it with a passion. And they will strongly argue with you that God does not choose people for salvation, but yet when you read the Word of God, you will find out that the Bible tells that God does make choices. And we're going to deal with some of the objections toward the end, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say. But here's what Tim LaHaye, who co-authored the Left Behind series, said. To suggest that the merciful, long-suffering, gracious, and loving God of the Bible would invent a dreadful doctrine like this, predestination, which would have us believe it is an act of grace to select certain people for heaven and by exclusion others for hell comes perilously close to blasphemy. That's what he said. Christian author Dave Hunt says this, This doctrine's misrepresentation of God has caused many to turn away from the God of the Bible as from a monster. That's many people's view of this doctrine, that that, that God is unfair, God is unjust, and God is a monster to say that God chooses people for salvation. And I know that many of you today, you're not going to accept what this doctrine teaches. But hear me well, my desire in preaching this isn't to be controversial. I want to be biblical. I want to be biblical. I'm not trying to stir up a fuss. I'm not trying to stir up an argument. So by way of introduction, let me define what the doctrine of election teaches. The doctrine of election declares God before the foundation of the world chose certain individuals from among the fallen members of Adam's race to be the objects of His undeserved favor. These and these alone He purposed to save. His eternal choice of particular sinners for salvation was not based upon any foreseen acts or response on the part of those selected, but was based solely on His own good pleasure and sovereign will. Thus election was not determined by or conditioned upon anything that man would do, but resulted entirely from God's self-determined purpose. 
Now when you hear that definition, immediately you, immediately you probably think like so many other people, the doctrine of election isn't fair. Right? We live in America, the land of equal opportunity, the land of everybody being fair, the land of everybody getting a trophy. And that's what people want to relate to God. God needs to be fair. And so people say God's not fair if He chooses to save some and passes over the rest. But can I just share something with you? If God acted fairly in salvation, He'd save no one and give us all what we deserve and send us all to hell. Wouldn't God be fair if He let us all go to hell? There's some 7 billion people on this earth and if God let all 7 billion people go to hell, God's just and God's fair. And so if God only saves one person, God's merciful and God is gracious. And yet we'll cry out, that's not fair. So the fact that God would choose to save anybody means He's merciful. Right? And we have a problem with this. Because we want a fair shake for everybody. But we get upset that people talk about election. Now I believe the main reason people reject this doctrine is because they don't want to believe in the doctrine of absolute inability. This doctrine states that mankind is dead in trespasses and sins and cannot come to God on his own. Hear me today. If you were saved, it's not because one day you decided to come to God by yourself. The Bible tells us that no lost person can come to God on their own. You have to be drawn by the Spirit of God. You're dead in your sins. You are depraved. You are disobedient. And by nature you are rebellious and do not seek God. And so you can't make the first step to God unless God makes the first step to you. Nobody goes looking for God. But here's the thing, most people think that God's up in heaven just hoping that somebody will come to Jesus. That God sends the gospel into the world and that He just somehow hope, just anxiously waits for people to hear the gospel and repent. You see, many people believe that God's doing His best to save people and sometimes people cooperate and sometimes, sometimes they don't and when they do, He's happy and when they don't, He's disappointed. Listen, that kind of view of salvation makes God subject to the will of man. And if that were true, it means that God wants to save some people, but He really can't do anything about their salvation. Think about it. He sent His Son, He opened the door of salvation, but He has no guarantees that anybody will ever be saved. If He leaves it up to us, nobody would ever get saved. Because by nature, we don't want it. So God has to do something. He has to be sovereign or He can't be God. Some of you is just like, I can't process all this. But here's the thing. If He's not sovereign, He's not God. And if He puts the ball totally in our court, guess what? We'll never choose Him. We'll never go after God. 
But yeah, that's how some people think. We've got to cooperate with Him. And somehow, every now and then, God will get lucky. You think God's going to roll the dice? You think God would send His Son and let Him die on a cross, die a cruel death, shed His blood, just hoping that somehow He's going to get lucky? No. Because the Bible says Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God planned it. And do you think that He's just going to somehow roll the dice when it comes to our salvation? No. That's not what the Bible teaches. God's not just hoping that some people's going to respond. He's not just hoping people's going to get saved. God knows they will because He purposely and actively is calling people to Himself. Why? Because He planned it. You see, either God is sovereign in salvation or man has the final say in whether or not He's saved. Either salvation is rooted in the will of God or it's rooted in the will of man. And here's the thing. We often give man too much credit. And God doesn't get too much and God doesn't get enough credit. Listen, I'm saved because of God, not because of me. Amen? And so I realize as we tackle this topic today, I'm not going to address all of your concerns. Some of you are going to reject this today. Some of you are going to leave mad at the preacher today. Some of you are going to embrace it, but you're going to have some reservations. Some of you may even rejoice in this because you're going to leave today saying, Hey, I'm saved. That means God's chosen me. In fact, I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He, he said, "If God, he said, I'm so glad that God chose me before I was born because if He'd waited until after I was born, He'd never chose me. How <laughs> I many feel like that? Before the foundation of the world. Now, I, I'm not here to create confusion or doubt. I'm not here to create fear. I want us to simply focus our thoughts on the truth. So let's look at verse number 4 again, and I want us to look at point number 1. Who did God choose? Paul says, He hath chosen us. That word chosen, it means to pick out, to choose for oneself, to choose one out of many. We get our English word election from the Greek word that is translated chosen. Now if you think about an election, the candidates don't choose themselves. One is chosen from among the many to hold that office. And the same is true in salvation. Certain people, certain ones are elected from the many to be saved. And the idea of election is seen throughout the Bible. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, out of all the people in Ur of the Chaldees, God chose Abraham. And guess what? Abraham was a pagan. He was an idol worshiper. But about all the people of that day, God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Why? God made a choice. God chose Jacob over Esau. Psalm 135 verse 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. God made a choice. God chose Israel over all other nations. Look at Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 through 8. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So it shows us there were other people on the face of the earth. There were other nations. But God said, I'm going to choose you. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you. Notice this. Because you were more in number than any people. For you are the fewest of all people. They weren't the biggest nation. Verse 8. But because the Lord loved you and because He would keep the oath which He had sworn to your fathers, 
Has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt? So Israel, they were small in number, but because God simply made a choice to love them, He chose them. Well, in the New Testament, the church is referred to as being God's elect. Matthew 24, 22. Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Matthew 24, 31. He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Romans 8, 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Colossians 3, 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatians, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Notice this. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Elect. 2 Peter 1.10 Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. You see it over and over again. God's making a choice. And it always refers to God's choice. Election in the Bible, it's always referring to God's choice and it always refers to, to something. And so when God chose His elect, He was choosing them to be in His salvation. And so the object of God's elective work is us. It refers to the redeemed. It refers to the saints. It refers to the faithful people. It refers to those who have and will believe on Jesus Christ for salvation. So let's look at point number two. When did God choose? Before the foundation of the world. God chose before He created the world. Before He said, let there be light. God chose. It's hard to picture, isn't it? It's hard to wrap your mind around. But before the foundation of the world, the Bible says God chose. And, here, and here's what people have a problem with. They hear that and they say, well, I believe God chooses, but He does so based on foreknowledge. He, he does so based on what he, he, he knows people's going to do. And they'll go to passages like Romans 8, 29 and 1 Peter 1, 2. Let's read them. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And then 1 Peter 1, 2 says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Here's what they say. They say, God looked down the corner of time. He saw who would believe, and those are the ones He chose in Jesus. That sounds good, doesn't it? It seems to solve the problem. But can I tell you what it does in reality? It creates another problem. Look at 1 Peter 1.20. It says who. That word who that refers to Jesus. Was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. That word foreordained in verse 20 is the same word as foreknow in verse 2. And it's the same word as foreknow in Romans 8.29. So let me ask you something. Did God look down through time and see that Jesus is going to give His life on the cross and then choose Him to be the Savior? Did God look down in time and see that Jesus was going to be the Savior and then choose Him? No, Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, the word translated as foreknow and as foreordained doesn't mean to know something ahead of time. It means to plan something ahead of time. The word always refers to a predetermined choice. Now, does that mean that God didn't know what we would do? Of course He knows. He knows everything, but here's the thing. He knows because He planned it. 
He knows us intimately. And He knows that we're His sheep. He knows who belongs to Him. He knows us because He put us into His plan before the world was formed. You see, before there was ever a sinner to save or a sin to save the sinner from, from, God had already made a sovereign choice to save some in Christ. Let me give you some passages that make God's choice and salvation clear. John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, He may give it to you. What does Jesus say? You've not chosen me. I've chosen you. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Now look at this part. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. That word ordained there, it means appointed or chosen. As many as were chosen to eternal life, believed. So guess what the implication is? Not everyone believed. Why? They weren't ordained to eternal life. John 10, 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. He's referring to the Gentiles there. He says, I'm going to bring them. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation. I believe the Bible is clear. God has chosen. Before He ever formed the world, God has chosen. In fact, this, this isn't in your notes, but according to Revelation 17, verse 8, the book of life and names were already written in the book of life before the world. You get a chance, write that reference now, Revelation 17, 8, and it talks about names not being written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, implying that there are names of the redeemed already written in the book of life. If names are left out, that means there must be names already in it from the beginning. You know what that means? If you're saved, you've been in the plan of God for a long time. That you're not an afterthought. I'll say it this way. The day you got saved wasn't an accident. Because God has been determining things your whole life. He knew when you'd get saved. Why? Because He planned it. That's how much He loves you. Number three, where, where did God choose? In Him. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. It talks about in Him. We were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world. In other words, God sovereignly placed us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when Jesus came to the earth, we were in Him. When He died on the cross, we were in Him. And when He rose from the dead, we were in Him. You see, when God came to us in conviction and we responded in faith, we were baptized into Christ. And so we are in Him. 
You see, according to Ephesians 2, verse 5 and 6, our union with Jesus is absolute and eternal. So the outcome of God's elective purpose is us being in Christ for eternity. See, God purposed this in eternity past and accomplished it in time. Again, it wasn't an accident that you believed in Jesus when you did. It was part of God's plan for your life. You see, God so structured and ordered your life to accomplish in time what He purposed to do in eternity. And we, and we struggle with that. We struggle with the sovereignty of God and we try to bring God down to our level. We try to figure Him out. But listen, if you could figure Him out, He wouldn't be God. He don't work like we do. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. If you could figure Him out, let me say it again, He wouldn't be God. Let me just say this. God's not sitting in heaven trying to figure out what He's going to do. When, when, when Adam disobeyed God in the garden, God wasn't trying to figure out what He was going to do. He already knew what He was going to do. He already planned what He was going to do. God's never had a plan B. He's only had one plan. To send Jesus. That's it. Number four, let's move on. I want to get into some of the objections so that I can maybe try to put some of you a little bit at ease. Because I know some of you is a little uh, upset and disturbed. Why did God choose? God saved us so that He could demonstrate His saving grace and power in our lives. Listen, there was absolutely nothing good in us that made God choose us. He didn't choose us based on our abilities, our good deeds, or any merit in us whatsoever. He chose, and, chose us and saved us simply because He wanted to. That's it. He set His love on our lives and put us in His plan, saving us for His glory by His grace. And you see this illustrated very well in Him choosing Jacob over Esau. Jacob was a trickster. Jacob was a deceiver. To put it in modern vernacular, Jacob was a con artist. Wasn't he? But he said, Jacob is going to be the leader. Jacob's going to be the one. Jacob's going to be the man. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 11 through 13. This refers to Jacob and Esau. It says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calls. It was said to her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? God says, I've loved Jacob, and I've hated Esau. And it says, Before they were ever born, before they did anything good or bad, according to God's choice, according to election, Jacob is going to be the one. Here's what I want to say before we go any further. He's God. And God can do what God wants to do. And I'm going to say something that's going to 
probably really upset some of you right now, but if God wants to be more merciful than He wants to one than He wants to be the other, God can do that. Let me do it this way. I'm a father. I've got three kids. If I want to be more generous to one than the other, I have a right to do that. He created it all. He has authority over all. And if He says, I want to show mercy to this one and not this one, God can do that. And who are we to say... You can't do that, God. Because He's the creator of it all. You see, the ultimate reason God chooses anyone for salvation is for His glory alone. Again, if God saves one person, that's mercy. And that's grace. Because He didn't have to save anybody. God could wipe this whole planet out and start over if He wants to. And we get upset that we say God saves some. And here's the, here, here, let me just say this. Here, here's what some may be thinking. If God only saves some, that means He's choosing other people to go to hell. God never elects anybody to go to hell. You come into this world on your way to hell. By default, that's where we're headed. So He's not electing anybody to go to hell. But in mercy and grace, He reaches down. This one's mine. And we get upset. Now, we're going to wrap up by looking at some of the objections. Because before we can move on in our study of Ephesians, we've got to deal with some of the arguments that people want to throw against this, this doctrine. So, so the first thing that people want to say is this. I believe that whosoever will can come. Well, guess what? I do too. And so did Jesus. Well, hadn't you just been preaching here for the past 30 minutes that God chooses? Yes. But the Bible is also clear that whosoever will can come to Jesus and He'll save them and He won't turn anybody away. You see, there's this tension in the Bible regarding salvation. On one hand, we're told that anyone who comes to Christ for salvation will be saved. But on the other hand, we're also reminded that nobody can come unless they're called by the Spirit of God. There's a tension in the Bible. Whosoever will, let him come and drink. What the Bible tells us in Revelation, does it not? Whoever's thirsty, let him come. But you can't come unless you're drunk. So you're wrestling with this tension all throughout Scripture. And guess what? I can't reconcile it for you. And you'll never be able to reconcile it. You just have to accept it. Because it's Bible. It's God's Word. So here's the thing. I believe that God chooses people for salvation. But I also believe that He'll save anyone who comes to Him for salvation. I can't explain it, but I believe it. And I preach it. You confused it? <laughs> you see, salvation is God's work. It, it, listen, it's, it's not our work, it's God's work. And guess what? Part of that work is a divine mystery. Again, if you could figure Him out, He wouldn't be God. 
here's another, another objection. People want to go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Let's look at it. Throw it up on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Those who don't like the doctrine of election, they'll only quote part of this verse usually. They'll quote the part of this verse that says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's all they'll quote. But here's the thing. If you want to read that part, this verse seems to teach that God's desire is to save all people. But when considering this verse, you've got to notice two words that are very important. It's also important that you read the entire verse. The word willing is an important word. It refers to a determined purpose. You study the original language, that word willing is a determined purpose. According to this verse, God has determined that none will perish. And so if you apply this verse to all of lost humanity, you've got a problem because then this verse teaches universalism, meaning that that God has determined that all of humanity will be saved. Well, that's not true. Because other parts of the Bible tells us that not everybody's going to be saved. And so when you read the whole verse, it becomes clear what Peter's saying. So read it again. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So notice the other word that's important. It's usward. And so who is God being long-suffering with? It's the people that Peter's writing to. Well, who's that? The answer is found in 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1 and 2 Peter 3.1. Peter's writing to the saints. He's writing to the redeemed. He's writing to the beloved. He's writing to the elect according to 1 Peter 1.2. So 2 Peter 3.9 isn't a verse that rejects election. In fact, it's a verse that proves the eternal security of the believer. Peter is saying here that God is delaying His final judgment on sin and sinners until all the elect are saved. And so when you put everything in context... That's what he's saying. That God is delaying His judgment until all those that are supposed to be saved will be saved. And then judgment's coming. That's why Christ has not come yet. Because there's still people that are supposed to be saved. Now we don't know who those are. That's why we still witness and that's why we still preach the gospel. Other people want to throw out this verse. 1 Timothy 2.4 Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The word will here in this verse doesn't refer to God's eternal decrees. It refers to His wishes or His desires. Well, God desires that all men would repent of their sin and turn to Christ for salvation. However, God doesn't save sinners based on His desires. He saves sinners based on His eternal decrees. And in His eternal decree, God the Father has given certain people to God the Son. And every single one of those whom God has chosen in Jesus will come to Jesus for salvation. That's what Jesus said. All that the Father has given me will come to me. And then, number four. Everybody wants to use the old standby. Free will. They say if God chooses, then man doesn't have a choice. In their view, here's how salvation works. God wants to save everybody, so He sent Jesus to die for everybody. 
Jesus didn't really save anybody when He died, but He did make salvation possible for all people. People get saved when they have the good sense to come to Jesus and call on Him by faith. That's how most people look at salvation. Well, here's the thing. This view makes God subject to the will of man in salvation. It gives us the image of God sitting up in heaven hoping that someone will be saved. Again, that, that, that's not what the Bible says about salvation. So here's the thing. What about free will? Does it even exist? Hear me. Only God has perfect free will. He does everything that He does out of His own free will. But what about man? Man has a fallen will. In fact, let me say this. The only time that man would have had free will was in the garden before he sinned. Now, we've got a fallen will. Right now, our will's broken. It's messed up. That's why even as believers, we still gravitate towards sin. Our will's messed up. Right? That's why even as a born-again believer, sometimes people get you upset, you still want to lash out. Because your will's broken. You see, by nature, we choose rebellion. By nature, we choose disobedience. You see, man in his natural state cannot and will not choose godliness. You see, left to ourselves, we'll never come to God for salvation. Left to ourselves, we'll always choose the path of rebellion. In fact, you, you, you tell a child, don't do this, and what do they want to do? They want to do it. Don't touch the paint. And guess what you want to do? Touch the paint. Don't the highway. And guess where you want to play? Play on the highway. Why? That's that rebellious nature. According to Ephesians 2.1, we're dead in trespasses and sins. And so we, we can't make a decision for Christ until the Holy Spirit of God comes to us first and helps us. So, here's the thing. The whole idea of human free will, it's a myth. You might say, preacher, I'll go out here and I'll do what I want to do. Not if God don't want you to do it, you won't do it. Because listen, I've heard stories, and you've probably heard them too. People say, I'm going to take my life in the gun jam and it not go off. Why? Because it wasn't their time to leave. God stopped it. Because here's the thing, if you're supposed to be here till you're 100 years old, guess where you're going to be? Here till you're 100 years old. Because you can't stop the plan of God. You see, God, even though we make decisions, God can override our decisions. Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh. But by chapter 3, where did not, where, where'd Jonah end up? In Nineveh. Didn't he make a decision to go down to Tarshish? Yeah. But who sent the storm? The Lord did. Where'd the great fish come from? God sent it. And I guess he got miserable after three days and three nights and he finally cried out. But he ended up in Nineveh, even though he said, I'm not going.
Let me ask you this. You may think you're calling the shots, but you're not really. God's in control of all this. He knows everything. Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And so, man's will is not free. It's broken. It's fallen. Now let me say this and we're going to close. Election doesn't negate human responsibility. Both of it, both are seen in John 6.37. And again, we can't reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility in this life. God's in control and human responsibility. Both are true. Both have to be accepted. And so as I close this morning, Warren Wiersbe, he had questions about election when he was in college. He asked one of his professors about it. Here's what the professor said. Try to explain election, you may lose your mind. Try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. And so this morning, having heard me preach this message today, some of you may be about to lose your minds. Others may be about to lose your temper. Maybe upset. But I want to stop here and say that I know how you feel. Uh, this is a hard doctrine to accept. It's one that's difficult to preach. Uh, it, it destroys our human pride. Uh, it takes us out of the picture. It lets us know that it's all about God. Um, and again, we want everybody to have an equal chance. Uh, we want God to save everybody. But what I'm about to say is really going to make some of you upset. But here's the thing God never intended to. How do I know? I know because everyone isn't safe. And everyone won't be safe. If He intended to save all people, all people would be safe. Right? Uh, does this make God unjust? Never. Listen to Romans 9, 14, 15, and we'll get ready to close. What shall we say then? And this is after He talked about choosing Jacob over Esau. says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He can be merciful and compassionate to whoever he wants to be. Again, God would have been just if he allowed us all to go to hell. So if God just saves one, it's mercy. It's grace. In fact, if it weren't for His grace, we would, have, we would have never come to Christ. And so again, yes, I believe God chooses. But I also believe whosoever will. But let me say this. I believe when you walk, if you were to walk through the door of heaven and you see the elect and you see the whosoever will, just picture that in your mind, uh, over heaven. The elect and whosoever will. I believe if you walk through the door of heaven and turn around over the whosoever will side, you can look back and see chosen. Because that's the thing. Whosoever will can come. Because God's not going to turn anybody away who wants to come. Because that's what some of you may be thinking. What about those who, who want to be saved? You might be thinking, if they're not elect, 
They can't come to Jesus. Listen, there's nobody like that. If a person wants to go to heaven, they won't go to hell. He won't turn anybody away. There's not a person in this world who wants to be saved that can't be saved. In fact, that gives evidence that He's calling them. Election is always for salvation, never for damnation. Election harms no one. So if you're saved today, you ought to rejoice in what God's done for you. You've been chosen. That's one of the great blessings of Christ. You've been chosen. Next week we'll, we'll move into towards the end of verse 4, going into verse 5, talking about being adopted into the family of God. Chosen and adopted. Aren't you glad? We've been blessed. And so, would you stand with me?